fathers all recognize it's this. Pain, problems, even persecution are always a part of God's plan in your life. Pain, problems, even persecution, always a part of God's plan in your life. You see, God uses each of these instruments to bring us to the place where we find ourselves praying, asking for Him to do something, to change, to intervene, to make a difference. And as we do that, our eyes begin to be opened and we begin to see providence, God's plan, God's purpose. Sometimes it's months. Recently, my daughter Joy encountered a very, very difficult time in her life. And I was getting texts from her every morning at 5 a.m. Every morning, 5 a.m. Dad, I hurt so much. I'm desperate. Please, pray for me. Here are the things going on in my life. I don't know what to do. I feel so down. I don't know how to handle this. I can't take care of my kids. I can't take care of my husband. I'm so depressed. It's a great note to get every day at 5 a.m. Drove me to my knees. I'd respond back to her for about 20 minutes to a half hour. We're going to figure this out. God's going to show his plan. God's going to put it all together. There's an intentionality here. I believe, Joy, it's going to work out. Her mom got in the midst of it. She did more afternoons and evenings. Continued on. We're going, what is wrong? Why is this happening? And finally, we haven't heard from Joy for two weeks. (laughs) Now I say that with joy. Means... She's doing well. We figured out the problem. We recognize what God is doing. And now, as Mary and I get ready to go down the 1st of July in the Minnesota summer, pray for me. We're going to take care of the twins and, and her other son as she goes off on a mission trip with her husband. Because God has placed her back into a place of balance. And got her heart back to the spot where it's supposed to be. So difficult to deal with pain and persecution. But when that happens in our lives, and it's happening in many of your lives this week, it seemed like everybody I called, it was so-and-so died. This is happening here. So-and-so has cancer. We're struggling with this issue here. My marriage is falling apart. I don't know what. And I'm going, whoa, Lord. There is so much movement. You must have an incredible plan, a purpose, and intention that you're planning to do here because we're starting to pray fervently. We're starting to say, God... Help us, show us, lead us, guide us. You see, and that's what was happening in Acts chapter 11. It was Barnabas coming to the place where he found himself in the wheelchair of God's grace. Coming to the place where he found himself in the wheelchair of God's grace. Where he said, you know, Lord, I don't know what to do. 
I've been brought over here. Persecution came upon the church. They pushed me down to Antioch. And now I have all these Gentiles who don't even know the story of David and Goliath. They know nothing about you. And yet they've responded to your message. They've allowed themselves to desire, to experience the wonder of who you are. And your plan and your purpose in their life. But they don't even know who you are. They know nothing about you. We have no words to share with them. We have no plan. All these Gentiles. And for the first time. I as Barnabas don't know what to do. So I just cried out to them, stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. And I collapsed in the wheelchair of your grace. And I said, Lord, what now? What now? And then you said to me, get Saul. Go get Saul. I said, oh my goodness, of course, the prophecy. He's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Go get. So I left. And I went to Tarsus and I grabbed him and I brought him back to Antioch. And amazing things began to take place. Paul had a plan. Paul always has a plan. Paul always has a plan, a strategy, an intention. He's laid it out. It's like he was born for this. And everything's beginning to happen correctly. In fact, now, now. Gentiles are being called Christians. Oh, I know it's not a good name, Lord. They're picking on them, but but it's still it's it's Christians. Little Christ. They're seeing them as as little messiahs going around telling people how they can be saved. Who would have guessed? Persecution, problems, pain. It was all part of your plan. It pushes us to prayer. And suddenly. In the wheelchair of your grace, we see, we understand. (laughs) Oh boy, yeah, I know. James was killed and and then Peter. Peter, we thought, oh no, he's next. And the next thing we know, well, Peter, you know, Peter, he's either walking on water or leaving prisons, one or the other. He's always caught him in something. That's Peter. Amazing, incredible, marvelous Peter. But everything changed again. And now James, the brother of Jesus himself, has taken over the church. And Peter, who knows what God's going to do with him next. All I know is right now, I find myself here with this Gentile church who are crying out to me even today. We need to send money to the Jerusalem church. They don't have enough. I can't believe it. They're just brand new Christians and already they get it. Generosity. Die to yourself. Live for God's directive. It's amazing, God. We're learning. We're growing. We're understanding. (laughs) And poor Herod. Blew it again. Good old Herod. Every time I hear that name, Herod, whether it's his grandfather who was after Jesus and tried to put him to death, killed those poor babies, or his uncle who comes in later and he's part of the crucifixion thing, and now Herod... The not so great. Yeah. Now he finds himself on his deathbed. About ready to die. Wow. 
God, you have a plan. And what we think is persecution for the church is in reality pushing us to become involved in your providential plan. Wow. That's what you mean about us needing to get under the cross, into the wheelchair of your grace. Father, today, speak to us. Remind us, guide us. As we spend just a few more minutes reminding ourselves from your word, this wonderful, glorious, incredible ride that you've called us on. So that all the things that we encounter in this world become opportunities to put us into your wheelchair as you push us along and say, watch this. I know you can't handle it, Lee. I know you can't handle it, Mary. I know you can't handle it, Dick. I know you can't handle it, Jeff. I know you can't handle it, but I can. Lord, today we come to you and say, as fathers, be our father. Um, use the duct tape, <laughs> whatever it takes. Guide me that I might be seated in the wheelchair of your grace. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the story of Acts chapter 11. It's kind of in Barnabas' eyes. I shortened it a bit because of how we're at today. We've got a few minutes. I want us to, to read and touch through it in the next 10 minutes, and you can do it. Watch Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. The persecution results are in. It says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution, after Stephen's death, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and even Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. But some of the believers went to Antioch, and they began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them, and a huge number of Gentiles believed, and they turned to the Lord. This influx of people without a Jewish background and no biblical knowledge are suddenly brought into the church, and they're not sure what to do. So they turn to Barnabas and say, Barnabas, go down there and tell us what's happening. Previous to this time, everybody that was brought in knew all the stories. They recognized the Torah. They knew what the commandments were. They knew who God was, but now these people... What is going on? So Barnabas gets down to Antioch and he says, I desperately need help. When Jerusalem heard what happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They just weren't ready for this. It's a new challenge. What are we to do now? Pain, problems, persecution. It seems to be a vital part of seeing God's providence. It forces us to pray. It's forced us to, to begin to acknowledge our calling, our ministry, and blessings come into our life disguised as trials. When he saw this, Barnabas saw this, this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. He encouraged the believers, stay true to the Lord. He's full of joy because all these people are coming to know Christ, but he's full of bewilderment because he doesn't know what to do, even discouragement. Remain true to the Lord. It's like... This concept of grab a hold of this hope that you have. You see, when you first become a Christian, what happens is in your life comes this incredible hope. This incredible sense of, oh my God, you are God. 
You are real. You are powerful. You can change everything. We begin to grab a hold of this. He says, stay true to the Lord. Let hope recharge the batteries of your life. He's talking to the Pete Dawson, this and one of their friends that plays bass for us periodically. He has cerebral palsy. So if you watched him up, you notice that he's not real strong in his ability to work. But you see, it wasn't until he developed cerebral palsy that he discovered that he was a genius in terms of music. He had no idea till then. He thought he was supposed to do something else entirely involved with computers. He found himself in this cerebral palsy situation. He just kind of picked up a guitar and started to play and realized, this is easy. This is easy. And then he played the keyboard. And then he played the, you got it. It just kept on going. He discovered God had given him an incredible talent that he'd never gone after. And he never would have if it hadn't become the result of trials in his life. You see, trials push us to prayer and cause us to begin to discern and and ask God, what is your providence in my life? It's Pastor Kuko saying, Lord, whatever you want to do in me. And 25 years later, he looks back and says, I've been clean all this time. Look what God has done. I don't need a business in order for my life to be okay. I just need to be seated in the wheelchair of God's grace. The wonder, the wonder of God begins to happen. Barnabas is a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Anytime you say someone's a good person, what you really mean is they don't know what to do. Anytime you say, well, I've got this employee. He's really a good guy. You know what you mean? He doesn't know what to do. That's what you mean. He's a really good guy. I don't know what to do. I don't want to fire him. He's a really good guy. You getting it? That's Barnabas here. He loves people. He encourages them. He says, I don't know what to do. So it says Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. You see, as he began to pray and ask for God's providence, I guarantee you what happened was he went, Oh my goodness, Saul! Saul! Off he went. He found him. He brought him back to Antioch. Both of them saved the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. How many of you are Christians? Now you know where your name came from. That's where it came from. I hear that. It's, the word Christian means little Christ. It's a demeaning term. When I first came a Christian, he used to call me a Jesus freak. That wasn't a complimentary term. Okay? They weren't being nice to me. They said, oh, he's a Jesus freak. I'm like, what's a Jesus freak? Well, that's someone who really loves Jesus and all we eat. And all he ever talks about is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, man. Don't you have anything else in your life? And I said, not really, that has any real meaning. Little Christians, little Christ. So we find ourselves adopting this name and rejoicing in it. Wow. And he goes on and he kind of jumps to a different thing. It says, so the offering is taken, the prophets suddenly traveling from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up on one of the meetings predicted by the Spirit. A great famine was coming. On the entire Roman world, this was fulfilled later under Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to give relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Everyone gave as much as they could, and they entrusted their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. It's incredible. This brand new church of Gentiles gathered together and said, we want to give to this church that's hurting. Did you hear this this morning? A couple came out this morning and said, we'll match anything your church can give. To send 
funds to Pastor Kuko to try to buy this $15,000 van. I went, you'll match whatever we get. And I'm thinking to myself, truthfully, I'm thinking, I could write a church check from the church probably. They could be pretty big, you know. We could Got a matching boot. That's just my style. I just kind of go, oh, wow. You guys going to have an opportunity to respond to that? It's just a chance. You go, it's the same thing that went on here. They said, we want to help the church in Mexico because we're rich. We're rich. We don't have air conditioning here, but we're rich. <laughs> I had to throw that one in. We may even get it pretty soon. I don't know. It's with the Lord. We're praying. Lord, please. He said, my providence is sufficient. I went, man. Really? Then it says, more persecution comes upon the church. James and Peter, the escapee. Peter's always escaping from prison. This is the third time he's going to get brought out of prison. And this time it says, King Herod gets together. He begins to persecute some believers. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Now, the reason I said John's brother is because in a minute he's going to talk about James again. Different James. Different James. Okay, so his brother is killed with a sword. He saw how this worked out really well. So he said, well, I'll put Peter in prison and I'll wait till the Passover week is over and then I'll put him to death. So he puts him into prison, guards him securely because he's heard about him escaping previously. Brings in the guards, 16. Puts him in chains next to two. Continues the process all the way through, sets everybody up. And it says that night, an angel comes in and says to Peter, hey, Peter, come on, wake up, come on, wake up, let's go. His chains drop off. He brings them all the way out. And it says the church, meanwhile, is praying this entire time that he's in prison. They prayed earnestly for him. They're in a dilemma. Previously, Peter was always let out, but this time James got killed. He's dead. This is serious now. What's going to happen to Peter. And so they're praying down there. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he's asleep. Angel lets him out. And as they're praying that, he is released. He goes to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocks at the door of the gate. The servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. She recognized Peter's voice. She was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back and said, Peter's at the door. Our prayers have been answered. And they said, oh, knock it off. It can't possibly be Peter. He's in jail. No, it's really Peter. No, it must be his ghost. Peter keeps knocking. Let me in, guys. They finally let him in. Obviously, they weren't praying a prayer of faith, were they? Because they didn't expect it to happen, but it did. And Peter then says an interesting thing, and this is a change in the entire church of Jerusalem that's going to take place. He says this, tell James... And the other brothers, what happened? And then he went to another place. Then he went to another place. See, James, also referred to as James the Just in history, is going to take over leadership of the church. And James, this James, is the Lord's brother. He's a half-brother of Jesus. Now, if you're Catholic, you can go, what? Yeah, he really is. He's, He's Mary's son. Of Joseph. James takes over the church and for the next, well, about 30 years, he actually guides. He's called the Bishop of Jerusalem. And he guides and directs the church from this point forth. Now, pain, problems, persecution. 
It seems to be a vital part of seeing God's providence as we pray for God's plan. The last part of the story is about Herod not so great. Herod, at first, when he finds out what's going on, he takes hold of the prisoners. Actually, not the prisoners, but the guards. Blew that one, sorry. So he has to hold the guards and he says, what happened? They tell him what happened. He says, you're crazy. He has them all killed. And then it says he runs out of town. He left town. He headed off to Caesarea to the other place. Because he's seen the power of God and he's getting a little bit concerned. He's frightened about what God's going to do here. He heads down to Caesarea. We've already talked about this. This is his standard kind of move. This is the place that he's put together down there. A summer palace is going on here. And this Herod the Great, who is the grandson of the first Herod that we encounter in the Bible in Matthew and the beginning under the Jesus with the stable thing. This grandson begins to say, no, I think I really am okay. And he comes out and he begins to share in this beautiful Colosseum. They have this Colosseum that's been built there. And he stands up and he shares with the people about how great he is. And the people begin to cry out, you're just like God. Your voice is like the voice of God itself. And he says, you're right. Thank you very much. I used to have a pastor who talked to us about speaking. And he said, you know, there are going to be times when you're going to do a really good job speaking. And you're going to get done with the message. And after you're done with the message, all the people are going to say, Pastor Lee, that was so incredible. It was like the voice of God himself. Now, I've never got there, but I've gotten close. And that was just such a wonderful message. It was God speaking to me directly. And you're going to drink that perfume. Don't drink perfume. Smell it. Enjoy it. Don't drink it. Not only will it not taste good, it'll make you sick. Now, it's a minor version of Herod's response here where he says, you're right, I am God. And Luke tells us at that point in time, God said, that's it. And he finds himself instantly infected with worms. As we go back in history, we discover something interesting. Do we have that clip up there? We'll share about Herod, Herod the Great. Did we did that, we do that extra... Is there another little clip on that one? We didn't get that in. Let me read it to you. This is from Flavius Joseph. Ah, there it is. Well-known historian of the time. He he says this. After Agrippa, that's Herod, had ruled in Judea for three full years, he traveled to the city of Caesarea. This is when he leaves as a result of fear. There he puts on an exhibition in honor of Caesar, declaring this to be a festival for the emperor. A large number of officials, those of a high-ranking status at sunrise... He puts on a robe made of all silver. Nobody has ever gotten me a silver robe. Anyway, silver robe. He comes out. It was great. He says, this is incredible. Walks into the theater. The silver shone brightly. The sun's rays fell upon it. He sparkled in the sunlight, dazzling the crowd. And they began to shout, crying out. We in the past have honored you as a man, but now we honor you as one with a nature greater than any mortal being. You are God. And he didn't rebuke them. He didn't disagree with the flattery. And shortly after, he experienced a violent attack with a severe pain in his stomach. He was quickly carried into the palace. The word of this account reached the ear of his subjects. That would not be long before he died. And he suffered for five straight pains, days from the pain in his stomach. And then he died. And then he You see, this story began with the persecution of the church and 
James being put to death. And then began a declaration of God's providence, powerfully moving. And the closing statement is, Then Herod, the one who started this whole persecution, dies. And then it ends with this statement, And the church continued to grow powerfully. The Gentiles grew to the place where we are here today, where people still think that Christianity is a Western religion. Folks, we started in Israel. We're not a Western religion. We never have been. God is moving. And what I would encourage you to think today, whether you be fathers, whether you be mothers, whatever, is this. Pain, problems, persecution. When they come into our life, they're God crying out to us and he's saying this. Get in the wheelchair. Gather my grace around you. Listen to my voice and you'll begin to see my providence. You pray until you can see. And when that happens, everything comes together. And that's Acts chapter 11 and 12. All right? Hey, let's close. ABCs. We know the ABCs. We admit that we're a sinner. How many of you are sinners here? Okay, the rest of you are liars. Okay, so. Oh, same thing. Okay, the second thing we recognize in the B that we believe. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Messiah that took care of all of our sin. He's the Savior who takes care of all of our sin. When you believe that, how many of you believe that? Raise your hand. I believe that Jesus the Messiah takes care of all my sin. Then he says, hey, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you peace. Make me Lord of your life, because that's the last thing. The C is simply this. Choose him as Lord. Choose him as Lord. We say it verbally, and we begin to understand later, just like these Gentiles. They didn't know what they were doing. But they said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. Change me. Transform me. Make me into a son of God. And when you say those simple words, it happens. And God starts the process of helping you to understand His providence. Father, today we thank You. You are a great God. Change our lives, even this day, as we remind ourselves of our fathers and give them praise and thanks. But today we remind ourselves that You are our Father. What a glorious thing it is. That first day, I still remember standing in the parking lot when You revealed to me clearly, I am Your Father. And I said, You're my Father. I'm your child. Thank you for gathering me into your kingdom and letting me be part of your family. Continue your work now in my life. Help each one of us here to respond to your will. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.